Good morning, church. My name is Kendall Knight. I'm one of the evangelists here, believe it or not. And uh, I'm here with my dear brother, amazing brother, Michael Burns, this morning. And so we're excited to... uh, yeah, we're, we're super excited to be here this morning. It's an honor to be able to be with my friend Mike and just be able to continue the Ephesians series. Um, there's always a method to the madness why we're wearing these hats, okay? It's the NFC Championship game. What do you think that's why we're wearing the hat? <laughs> Go, Lions. Amen. Go Lions. But um, really, it's just great to be here. I just want to really talk a little bit about, and we'll explain these hats a little bit later here, and we'll, we'll kind of wear them forward. But um, Thank you. We'll, we'll explain a little later. It's a little hot with that, so... But we're going to continue our series in Ephesians. I think the brothers have done an amazing job really helping us really understand God's plan of grace and adoption and the power that we can link into. I thought Jordan's message about grace was phenomenal last week and uh, very convicting, just talking a little bit about, uh, just talking a little bit about just who we would be without God. Who would we be? And so he talked about the incomparable grace versus this. And so I thought, you know, and I thought it'd be meaningful to go ahead and, you know, imitate that title a little bit. Don't reinvert, reinvent the wheel, but talk about the incomparable reconciliation we have versus the power of principalities. See, I think oftentimes when we look at the scripture, we can look at it sort of in a compartmentalized manner. And sometimes we'll take a verse and not understand the total theme of what's going on. And so Brother Burns has been studying Ephesians for over a year. And so he has some tremendous insight about the powers of principalities and just really understanding what we're up against as we try to tap into this grace and the amazing power that God has provided for us and the wonderful adoption that we get to experience. And so today we're going to be talking through the scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at 11 through 22. This passage to me is one of the all-time greats. Now, this is me exaggerating, but stay with me right here. The evolution of what God does with us in this passage is fully expounded, and there's a rhythm to it. And so we're going to look at the passage, and the way we're going to teach today is we're going to flow through the passage. I'm going to read it to you, but I kind of broke it out in three different segments that I want to highlight and that we're going to kind of engage with. And when you look at it, it's three separate things, but all succinct in how God moves us from a place of darkness to a place where we're sitting in his glory. And so Paul is telling this amazing story in Ephesians chapter 2. And I said, Jeff, can I preach on that? Jeff said, okay, bro. So it really resonates with me. It really does. And the cultural dynamic and the racial tension and the challenges that were there is so parallel to what we experience today. And so we look at those three concepts right there, and we see that we're aligned by the blood of Jesus. Jeff hit that on his first sermon. We have peace through the cross. And we're a holy dwelling because of the Spirit. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. And the Bible says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called circumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, 
and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus, I'm supposed to sit down. That's why the chairs are here. Don't fire it up, you know? Don't fall. I'm not going to fall. Yeah, just make sure I don't fall, bro. Yeah, make sure I don't fall. Make sure I don't fall back, okay? <laughs> but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who have made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulation. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cause by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Amen? Amen. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And then you too are being built together to become a dwelling, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know, when you look at this passage of scripture, there's a lot there and we're going to break it down. There's some key things there. The Gentiles obviously were alienated without hope, you know, lost in this world, uncircumcised as Jordan shared. He talked about how the complexities were with the Jews. They wanted to make it really complex for them to have a relationship with God. And he talked about how, you know, they had to honor, they wanted, the Jews wanted them to honor the Sabbath, to eat kosher, right, and be circumcised. And so that was the argument in Acts chapter 15 with the Jerusalem council. That was the thing that was going to kind of split the church even at that point. And so they were without hope. I mean, totally just alienated. But it says, hey, look, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our sins have now been forgiven. And then he talks about this whole idea of reconciliation with the dividing walls of hostility. And there are two major issues there. And it's not just sort of a spiritual issue, but there's a real physical issue that's going on. And yet, Paul is helping them to understand that hostility has now been crucified through the cross of Christ. And then finally, he talks about, hey, look, we're no longer foreigners and aliens, but we are now a holy dwelling, a collective community that have been brought together because of the blood of Jesus, because of the cross. We now share this amazing gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit that all of us are on equal footing now as a result of what Jesus has done for us. And the reason I wanted to have Michael here is because there is a real battle for us to really understand catalogay, which simply means God knew in the beginning that we would have a rebellious heart, and through that, he would use Jesus to help reconcile our hearts. And so scholars believe that there are four different times where that was brought up. One was in Romans 5.11, believers have received reconciliation, which he implies is a gift. Romans 11:15, the reconciliation of the world through us. And then here's the thing I talked about the last time I spoke, the ministry of reconciliation. That now we can be Christ's ambassadors because we've now evolved into the light. We're now a holy nation that have received mercy and now we can show that mercy to the world. 
And then the word of reconciliation. The word reconciles us too. You know, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and all this is from God. But we have to understand that there's more involved to get to that level. Uh, Mike, tell me a little bit about that, bro. Tell me about the powers of principalities. Um, I love talking about the powers and authorities, which is maybe a little weird. It's kind of like saying I like talking about demons or something. Um, It should maybe be a little concerned, but, you know, wherever we look in history or in our world today, we see people groups divided, right? Um, That's nothing new. And it's not an accident. It's not like it just happens like, oh, we can't figure it out. What causes this? Why do we keep having these disagreements? Uh, And that's what Paul really is bringing out in Ephesians is why does this keep happening? And what we often want to do is we want to blame one side or one person. Well, if the Jews and Gentiles can't get along, who's at fault? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Jews and Palestinians can't get along. Who's at fault? The Ukrainians and the Russians can't get along. Who's at fault? Is it the black folks or the white folks? Who's at fault? And Paul would say, you're missing the point. And this is what he says. In, and he knows where he's going in Ephesians. He's going to hit this at the end in chapter 6. He's like, it's not flesh and blood. It's not one person who's causing this. It's the powers and authorities. And we're all victims of them. And that's what they do. They work at the systemic level, at the structural level, at the cultural, at the national level to divide us. And so where there is division, you see the thumbprint of the powers and authorities. Where people groups are against each other, you know that they've been at work. And Paul knows where that's going in Ephesians, and he says what's, what's threatening the church right then and there is not just, you know, find the human at fault. It's the powers and authorities. We've allowed their work to come into the church. We're allowing it to threaten and divide just like we see all over the world. Mike, can I ask you a quick yeah. question as you're talking about that? So when, when, you know, that word, you said something really that can really trigger people. Yeah. You use the word systemic. Yes. So... Can you elaborate when you say systemic? What do you, you're talking about the powers and authorities, but take us a little further with that word systemic. Yeah, for Paul, when he wants to talk, the, Paul has two sides of sin, and we do really good at talking about individual sin, and then we oftentimes stop there. But for Paul, um, he, fallen sinful humans can also create fallen sinful structures and systems and nations and cultures. And, and they get wrapped up in that sin. And he actually says in chapter 2, they, they're enslaved to the powers and authorities because we use their thought systems and their wisdom and we structure things like that so much that a, a nation or a culture or a system or an ideology can become so intertwined with the, the wisdom and work of the powers and authorities that it's hard to divide them. And in Isaiah 24, he actually says that the kings on earth and the powers above, God is going to punish them together and just throw them in, in together, and they'll be locked away together because they're, they're kind of in cahoots. And so um, when Paul wants to talk about, man, this is, it's these structures, these systems, these national uh, identities, you know, politics that divide us as groups, right? Mm-hmm. And so he says it to the Ephesians, He starts out and he says, number one, the thing that should identify who you are is being in Christ. 
is brought by the blood of Christ into Christ, the forgiveness that we found there. That's what should happen. And, he, and then he says something really interesting at the end of chapter when he says the powers and authorities have been defeated. They're at the feet of Christ. And you think about it, that's a bold claim. It is. That's a big claim. Um, I mean, that, that, that would be like, you know, a Cowboys fan saying the Packers have been defeated. Like, not by you. Right, 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 right. Not by you. I had to sneak that or, in. Or a Jet uh, fan saying, we never win. <laughs> no, yeah. But how can you say if, if the calling card of the powers and authorities is division among human groups, how can you say they've been defeated? Mm. And that's a, that's a you know, and, and Paul's saying that 2,000 years ago. We look out here today, it's like, how can we say he, that's been defeated, that the powers and authorities are under the feet of Christ? And then, of course, in chapter 2, he says we're actually enslaved to the powers and authorities. And so it's even worse than we thought. And so that question hangs out for the first two chapters of Ephesians. How can Paul claim that the powers and authorities have been defeated? Yep. And this is where our passage comes in, because it's as if he looks out at the church in Ephesus and he says, the answer is you. You are the evidence of the defeat of the powers and authorities. Absolutely. I appreciate that. You know, it's interesting. We were talking about this. We kind of got into the temple a little bit. Right. You know, and we talked about how, you know, this structure, this, what we're looking at up here, brothers and sisters, is the temple. You know, the scholars believe that the temple was rebuilt three times, you know, and so this is, a, this may be evidence, sort of a rendition of the second temple here, but what's really interesting about, it's a religious spiritual community, but if you look very carefully, there's a line where the quarter priests are. It was a very complex system. And you see the quarter Gentiles, and right before that, you see a little wall. I wish they had a pointer, but you see a little wall. And there was something called the Surik. Surik. It was a wall. It had inscriptions written on it. And so inside of that, you could not, the Gentiles could not go inside of that, or there would be a riot. There'd be fights, because they weren't allowed inside of this complex, holy Jewish priestly environment. And so this document, this, this actual inscription was found in 1871. It's a Greek stone tablet discovered by Claremont and Ganu in 1871. It reads, no foreigner is allowed in the courtyard and when within the wall surrounding the temple, whoever enters will invite death for himself. So when Paul is talking about, you know, the, wall, the, the walls of hostility, you know, and when he references that, he's really talking about Acts chapter 21. It says here, when the seven days, let me kind of get to that to show you guys that, there it is. That's the inscription. That's what's around the temple courts. G they, Gentiles could be killed if they walked inside into that complex Jewish worship environment. And so he's referencing Acts chapter 21 when he says, this is, this, scholars believe that this is a connection to that temple, right? To that temple. We're going somewhere with this in a second. You'll see. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city with Paul assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. You know, when you think about this, think about 
the United States of America, why is it so homogenous on Sunday mornings? Why is that? What are the powers and authorities doing inside of our church buildings to make us so separate and apart? Now, if you look at us, Mike and I are going to share our story shortly. There are two people here that could be so different. Right. I mean, we are entirely different if you haven't recognized that. I mean, entirely different. Mike reads two books a week. I read two books every six months, you know what I mean, <laughs> whatever the case may be. No, but really, it's the testament to the blood and the power of Jesus that he and I can sit here today. Amen. There's no other reason that this would even happen other than the power of God. And so the hostility has been released. I don't look at him for him who he is. I look at him because he's a man of God. But, but what we see here in Ephesians chapter 2 is a confirmation. For Christ himself is our peace who made the two one, Gentiles and Jews, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. I love this comment here. The basic meaning of the word reconcile to remove enmity between two enemy parties or to change thoroughly. Reconciliation is more than having our sins forgiven and divine justice being satisfied. It means to change something inside out, upside down, right side up. It refers to a changed relationship between God and the lost world. Reconciliation is a divine provision by which God's holy displeasure against alienated sinners is appeased. His hostility against men is removed. A harmonious relationship between the Lord and the saved sinner is established. Amen. I mean, that is what it's all about. And so, Mike, you know, we were just kind of talking and, you know, of course, we wore the red and blue hat and, you know, it wasn't just for the NFC Championship game. You <laughs> well, guys got to know that. Let me jump in real quick. But jump in, Mike. Yeah, let me, let go ahead and jump something. in. Sure, absolutely. Um, as you're talking about the wall, it's interesting because you go, why was there a wall in God's temple keeping Gentiles out and threatening death? When you look back at the Old Testament, the call to Israel was to be a nation set apart, but to do it for the sake of the nations, to draw them in, to be a light to the nations, says mm -hmm. Isaiah. But it's, and this is how subtle the powers and authorities can be because they can work into things that are good and, and twist them into actually agents of the powers and authorities. Mm -hmm. Paul says this in Romans. He says, you're using the very law, the Torah, to become an agent of death. You're, you're using it to exclude people. And that's what they've done in the temple. Instead of this very subtle shift from right. we are set apart to be a light to people, we are now set apart and you're an outsider. If you come in, you're gonna mess up what we're doing, so don't come in anymore. And so therefore, the temple itself had become an agent of the powers and authorities. 
And this is Paul's warning to the churches. The church itself can become a haven to the powers and authorities if we let these other identities come in, if we let these divisions and hallmarks of the powers and authorities come in. And so that's why he's stressing the blood of Christ, this identity in Christ, is because we can turn to these other identities so quickly we will not find unity in red and blue and Democrat and Republican and our culture and our national identity. Those are, they have been co-opted by the powers and authorities to divide us. The only thing that will unite us is our identity in Christ. Absolutely, I appreciate that, Mike. I appreciate that. That's awesome. So with that, you know, I remember just growing up where I grew up Inner city, Brooklyn, you know, um, you mentioned politics, and so we'll put the hats on, you know, put them back on here, here we go. And so, you know, completely blue environment, you know, yeah. for, for, for us, it was kind of like, you know, um, Al Sharpton marched a block away from my house. And this is when his hair was slicked back and he was 295, you know, 300 pounds, big guy. I remember those remember those days? days? Yeah, those days? Yeah. A big joker, man. But, you know, it was amazing. And the Jerry Curl. And the Jerry Curl. Yes. Don't forget the Jerry Curl. Yes. He was slick back. You know, Malcolm X was sort of a hero of mine. I remember just kind of, um, I remember on the, my voicemail in my early 20s, late teens, was like I had this proud to be black voicemail. So if you called, you knew I was black. You know what I mean? Nice. <laughs> it was like proud to be black. There, there were probably other clues, too. Yeah, there were. There yeah. were. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there were, there were, there were, there were, there were. Jesse Jackson, all those guys. Now, but, uh, let know. me contrast Yeah, that, okay, right? cool, go ahead. So, I grew up in Wisconsin. Eating cheese. Yeah, eating cheese. Eating cheese. Not, the only time I had cheese was on my White Castles, bro. Not, you know hey, what I mean? That's all. Cheese is serious in Wisconsin. <laughs> Um, but not known for its diversity, strangely enough. Um, but, uh, yeah, dude, the, like the exact opposite. Wow. So I, I went to high school. I had Spanish class. No, not Spanish. Well, Spanish and English literature class with Paul Ryan, who would later become the Republican Speaker of the House. Right. Um, wow, that was, right. okay. Um, it's getting a little hostile in yeah, here, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I grew up. I mean, half the identity was I grew up in this evangelical stream of, like, it's just the air I breathe. Like, yeah. if if you said you were a Democrat, then you weren't a Christian. I mean, we knew that right away. That was obvious. Um, and if you were a Christian, we knew you were a Republican. I worked on presidential campaigns. Mm. Like, I was, like, even thinking yes. of being a politician one wow. day, I was... Hardcore Republican. I watched Rush Limbaugh every day. Wow. <laughs> and I think I was more of a CNN type guy, you know. Oh. I was sort of one of those. The Clinton dudes. News. The Clinton Network. Newsletter. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so it was Jesse Jackson. Uh, those cats were the guys who you know we looked up to. And David Dinkins was the first African American mayor uh, in in New York City. You know, yeah. so I, we were so proud of that just yeah. because we're on public assistance and we were like, man, these this is. Here are some heroes. And one of the challenges was I grew up around the Hasidic community. Mm. So the Hasidic Jews and the African-American community in Crown Heights, Brooklyn had some real tensions. 
And that was one of the reasons for the march because, you know, a black guy had gotten killed by a Jew. He ran at that time. And it was just, we did, you know, we did some terrible things. I wasn't innocent. We climbed in the roofs. We mentioned it was just not good stuff, you know. And so for me, there was a hostility built up um, towards the white culture. Yeah. And when I went into corporate America, it was a Jewish man who, who called me a Schwarza, which, which basically is the N-word. You know, he looked down on me. And so when I studied the Bible, I had to work through a lot, a lot of stuff, you know. Yeah. And I think for the most part for us, I think as Christians, what's wonderful about our relationship, Mike stays at my house. We eat and have great meals together. And um, we love God. I, I, he's a hero of mine and a hero to so many of us. But we've become new. Yeah. We're inside out. Right. Because, let me jump in. Because, because of, because of because what? Of, yes. Amen. Go ahead. Be, because, see, here's the thing. Growing up, yes. like everything that I had learned says we shouldn't be friends. Right. We should be on opposite sides, right? Of course, like, of course. Like the, the mentality I had growing up was like, dude, you're, you're being given jobs that should be for my people and they've been handed to you. Right. And, and I've been saying your people right. are just can you know, and treating us like Gentiles totally. for so and long. You're, you're a Democrat. You're over and there. You're a you're Republican. The, you and know. there's no way we're going to... Yeah. Right yeah. We're going to fight right we're here gonna fight right now. And, but the thing is, all those things, see, they've been co-opted by the powers and authorities to divide us, and we think that that's okay. And so we were never going to come together, but it was when we... Not to demonize those things or demonize people, but to say, you know what? This is not my identity. I don't need this anymore. What I need is Christ. I need to be brought together in Christ. That's my identity. That's why we now are one. We are brothers. We, we you know, we, we love we just all, all awesome. of that. Oh, it's, it's hard to even express, it, but it's only in Christ. Yep. And if we allow these things to take over our minds, we will return to the enslavement of the powers and authorities. That's what Paul is telling you. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. Here's what I would say around this silly season, this political season. Don't be a dog returning to the vomits. There you go. Stop posting social media and then indulging in it. Amen, church? I'd be like, what? And I got to look at this person in church? <laughs> and they're buying into this stuff? Whatever you do, you have the right to vote Republican. You have the right to vote Democratic. But you don't have the right to demean anyone based on choice. You don't have the right to do that. Now, we can think what we want to think. And I think it's okay to think that, but guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. That is what is most important in our relationship with God. Are you guys with me here? Don't let Satan build up an astral pole in your heart. Don't build up an idol in your heart. Don't argue on Facebook on your heart or Instagram or whatever it is. Don't wear something that's inflammatory to another brother and sister. Be wise. Be wise. Don't be a stumbling block for people. Understand that there are roots to the Democratic Party that have been meaningful for me. You know, hey, free cheese. I needed that when we needed it. 
I did eat cheese. There was black Go cheese. Government cheese. Yeah, my wife has told me about it. You told you about that? Yeah, yeah. Your wife told you about that. Good She's, God. Yeah, she told me about the government cheese. I, yeah, I, I, I did have cheese outside of my White Castles, and it was the <laughs> thick government cheese. Yeah. And it took about an hour to slice one slice, but it's all good. Yeah, yeah. It's good cheese. Right. It's good cheese, though. Yeah, cheese. You like cheese, yeah. so. You know, the, the importance, Kendall, I'll say one last thing. And then Absolutely. I'll let you bring it home. Paul says, you know, we've, we've come together, he's created this new humanity. Absolutely. And the early Christians, they, they used the word race a little differently than we use it. They meant more like an ethnic cultural group, but they would, they would say that they were an actual new ra race created in Christ, a new people, um, a new humanity. And in chapter three, I'll sneak, just a, a sneak preview on, there, bro, Paul. Bro. Paul looks ahead and he says, this is so important, two your unity. Two-minute warning there. We got a two-minute warning, bro. Two-minute warning. Yeah, All right. So, so. I'm, uh, give me 15 seconds. Okay, good. He, go. says, he says, this is so important because in us, our unity, God has placed his wisdom on display to the world and the powers and authority through our unity. If we are disunified, all the world will ever know is the work of the powers and authorities rather than the unity of Christ. Amen. So, you know, we talk about the holy dwelling, who we are. That's who we are. We're a holy nation. The Bible refers to us as that. You know, we're royal priesthood. We're priests. We received, we didn't receive mercy, now we receive mercy. And this, this group right here, I'm so proud of. My wife and I have the opportunity to serve with the Thrive Ministry. Amen. We're the singles and young marries out there, newly married. You guys out there somewhere? And, and, and it's a great group, man. We've been, we've been able to just build with the group. This is the group that's sort of the tried and true who were there from the beginning. It's, it's, it's a group of brothers and sisters generationally from young professionals all the way to the mature disciples, singles and newly married, bridging that gap, being that holy nation, knocking down the walls of hostility for that particular demographic. And what's been so awesome about it is just to see how the ministry's grown in so many ways, and just the hearts of the disciples who really want to participate and serve and have great services and events and connections and family groups. And it was so rewarding this year to see what God's done that our core leadership group has now doubled. You know, where all of these disciples volunteered, you know, all of them from different age groups and demographics said, hey, I like to serve in this ministry. And what we're able to do, we're going to break up into committees and do different things to really try to meet the needs. And the world can see that we are Jesus' disciples because of our deep love for one another. The first meeting we have went off the rails, not in a good way. It was, it was not very united. There were some things that were challenging. The powers and authorities were working. And yet God moved. And I said, you know what? Let's have a meeting the next week. And so the next week we talked. I talked to some of the brothers and sisters. Hey, what disturbs you about the meeting? Hey, it was not edifying for the church. What were we going to do? So I said, okay, Diana, honey, let's pivot. Let's do something that will honor God. And so now we're excited. We've got Jeff and Florence Sackinger going to be a part of the group. They're going to be working with the newly married. So they just moved down here, and we're going to continue to build this holy dwelling, this rich dwelling because of God's Holy Spirit within the Thrive Ministry, within the newly marrieds, and within the singles, and it's exciting. And you're invited 
to a Super Bowl party. And our sister, Vanetta, is going to be hosting that. And we're going to invite the campus with us. They want to come along. It's going to be a great time. But the whole idea, this is the holy dwelling getting together to worship God in a powerful way. Next Sunday at 4 o'clock, if you're single or newly married, please join us in the lighthouse for an amazing service. To close, after the list, Revelation 7, 9 through 10, the evolution of us. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the land. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the land. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne, worshiping God, saying, amen, praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray for communion. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the blood that cleanses. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And thank you, Father, so much for the cross that's knocked down the dividing wall of hostility. Father, we are so grateful that you've chosen all of us at this time to participate in this communion. Thank you for all that Jesus has done and the relationship we get to have with him. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.